<laughs> With the black cauldron, I will have unstoppable power. The power to to do what though? The power to rule the world and all of the pathetic creatures who live within. But, my lord, aren't you already sort of ruling the world? Yes, but I will have even greater power once I control the cauldron. Yeah, but, like, what does that mean when you control the cauldron? It means that the cauldron will do my bidding and will give me unimaginable power. Ha 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 ha! Yeah, but... I just don't get it, boss. Your pathetic mind cannot comprehend the incredible power that the cauldron gives to its controller. Right, right. And that power, is that like magic? Yes, incredible magic. Don't you already, uh, don't you already have magic? Yes, of course I already have magic. I have the greatest magic in the world, but... But with the Black Cauldron, I will have even more powerful magic. Right, right. So couldn't you just, like, make an army of the dead on your own without the cauldron? Well, you're sort of undead, right? Yes, of course I am. I'm a giant fucking skeleton. What do you think? Right, right. Listen, I will have unlimited power with this cauldron. Oh, yes, of course, sire. And we will do your bidding. Yes, just like you always have. Hmm. Yes. Right. You know, you, you guys might make a good point. fans and welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mokel here with my magical co-hosts magical seem fitting for this movie you know what i'm a i'm a prophecy pig a trash kid nice (laughs) (laughs) a pig and a kid sorry i stole it (laughs) But what's your name, Magical Pig? Oh, Chelsea Hollowell. <laughs> you led with the important bits. Yeah. So. That's not as interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say you were a trash kid afterwards? Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. That's a rare occupation. Yeah. I like it. So are you a pig or a goat? Because you said you were a kid. Oh, I forgot. These things are nebulous and will not be defined. <laughs> That's reasonable. Oh, kind of like the ending of this movie. <laughs> Just a horrifying amalgamation of farm animals that Disney put as a sidekick character. Or how I even got my powers. Yeah. Speaking of horrifying characters, my name is Jack Olander. <laughs> I'm a horrific child-scarring side character that was taken out of the several hours of footage removed from the film we're about to discuss. Oh, God. <laughs> is that real? No. It, well, it was like uh, it was like 30 minutes. Like 12 or, minutes. Oh, 12 minutes. Maybe I inflated it a little bit. But we'll get into that. If you're completely cut from a movie, do you still get paid? No. 
Uh, well, yeah. they wrote me like an IOU on right. like a on like a post-it note. Like they promised to to speak well of you to other prospective employers. Yeah, I got a I got paid in exposure. Yeah, actually, so. they were like, "Oh, I mean, this movie's gonna be a hit. So once we get those big bucks, you'll get your paycheck, and then, well, yeah, then history." Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, it's not just the three of us here though, because. Loki the cat is on the <laughs> recording with us, but also say, thank God you can see her too. <laughs> no, but you've probably heard by now. We have another special guest. Oh, oh, I'm supposed to go now. Uh, <laughs> I am a semi-problematic big booby witch girl. Oh. <laughs> And your name is? Casey. There we Cannon. go. <laughs> it's uncomfortable because I don't know whether I should be turned on, feel empowered, or disgusted. The answer is yes. <laughs> All three. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, but I'm sure you have, this week we are going to be talking about The Black Cauldron, Disney's actual first animated failure, I believe, from 1985. You take that back. Box office failure. I Commercial failure. I has nothing to do with the quality. They buried this movie yeah. because it's a super underground well, cult favorite, right? There you go. That's right. Well really? since uh, since we're saying how we liked it, that's a perfect transition right into the Smithy. <laughs> <laughs> no no no, not yet, not yet. Oh right, right. We're gonna skip the entire episode <laughs> yeah. and just jump right into how you, much we like. You know what? This movie speaks for itself. Let's give it a ring. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Shortest podcast episode ever. <laughs> no, we're going to talk a lot about this movie. I know we all have a lot to say, but I think Chelsea's got a summary that she's had prepared and ready to go. <laughs> I'm not at all staring at you like a deer in headlights or anything. Nope. I am prepared. That's right. It happens every episode, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's get to that summary. What? Was that music? Now that's what I call music. <laughs> 17. <laughs> I think we're past 17 at this point. Copyright, trademark, 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 copyright. <laughs> nice. So we have a coming-of-age hero's journey of classic design. And there's also a sidekick human pig herder who goes along for the ride. See that right there? <laughs> coming of pig story. Coming of pig story. <laughs> coming of swine? I don't know. Mm. I think Sounds you don't foul. get to use that word. Casey doesn't like that mm. one. That's a derogatory term for pigs. You swine? <laughs> Dude, stop saying it. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> I'm fucking with you. Nice. I'm going along with the plan. Oh, I see. So, Henwin, the, the main character of this story, is a prophecy pig, and she's great. <laughs> yes, that'll do, pig. <laughs> she can show you visions in water, and uh, she tells you of horrible things to come and warns you off of them. Does she ever tell you of good things to come? It's only bad. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I guess it's good to know. Yeah. That 
That's actually a troubling statement. We can discuss that later. <laughs> so they, uh, she and her human sidekicks basically thwart the horned king who wants to raise an evil army of the undead. Ooh, to kings. And uh, he's using some magical artifacts. All the kings who listen are going to be so offended now. <laughs> to try yeah. to make that happen. And um, there's some sacrifice involved of the personal nature. All right, so let's get into some details. So we, you already know Henwin, right? She's the oracular pig. It's <laughs> one of her other names. I love her. She's very cute. She's so strong. Yeah, very adorable, too. Who's her main human sidekick? Her main human sidekick is Terran, a pig herder who uh, wants to go on adventures and be a hero, question mark, slash bloodthirsty maniac who just wants to murder. Yeah. Yeah. And who does he meet along the way? Uh, Princess Alonwi, who is a princess of an unknown land, yeah, uh, and we're not even sure why he meets her, other than she was trapped in the castle of the evil horned king. Yeah, once they were all taken prisoner. I'm not even sure she's a princess, because the horned king calls her a scullery maid. I know, I was, yeah, and I was wondering if... She made that up. Self-proclaimed princess. She doesn't. I respect look, it. Yeah, I can respect it. She doesn't that. really look like she's got fancy enough clothing to be a it's princess true. either. She kind of has like very generic type Servant. clothing. Yeah, kind of utilitarian clothes. Yeah. yeah, but she does have a little weird orb thing that cost them a lot of money to render and did almost nothing. Yeah. <laughs> At least it cost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And then who else do they meet in the dungeons, Jack? What's his name again? Fluterflam. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like we should censor the bard's name, but in, they meet him in, sh in, in shackles? He's strung up. Not hung, but I mean, well. I mean, I think he's hung, but he is a bard. Yeah, yeah uh, well, he, he's restrained in a dungeon. The bard... Fluterflam. Oh, I don't know if you can say that. <laughs> yeah, we're an explicit podcast. Oh, that's, that's fair. <laughs> it's an insult to flautists everywhere. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Fluterflam? Yes. He plays the fucking harp. Yes. Yeah. What a missed opportunity. Oh, you're right. That's right. Does he play it? Uh, the bard, the, the harp plays him. Much like, yeah, the sword wheels Terran and the harp wheels or plays Fluterflam. It's kind yes. of like Pinocchio's nose. It tries to tell on him whenever he's lying. Yes. Yes. Every time he lies, it breaks a string, which is then magically fixed. I have yeah. a lot of questions about the mechanics of, of this world. magical artifacts in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Irreverence. Yeah, he's a nervous lad. Fluterflam. He's nervous, but he's got a good heart, maybe. Way less horny than most bards. Yes. Yeah, because there were only mostly children. Oh, no, wait, there was the scene with the big titty problematic witch girl. Yeah, yeah. and she was way hornier for Fluterflam than Fluterflam was for her, so. Well, he's scared. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. That's, That's okay. okay. <laughs> and, um, Taryn also meets Gurgi. Uh, when, when he first leaves the farm with Henwin. And Gurgi is a uh, mustachioed dog. He is a mustachioed <laughs> dog? 
good. person goblin. He's a cute furry gremlin? demon. <laughs> yeah. He speaks and he likes munchies and crunchies. That's right. He's kind of like Gollum. Yeah, he's a proto Andy Circus. And by that I mean proto Gollum. He's definitely yeah. friendlier than Gollum. Yeah. And, and by proto I mean for Andy Circus's version, not and he's a lot yeah. cuter than Gollum. And a lot sadder yeah. than Gollum. But he's also probably just as manipulative as Gollum. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Less evil. We'll say less yeah, evil. Yeah. Well, that was an awesome summary. Why don't we head into the delve? All right. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of the Black Cauldron. So, guys, a lot to talk about with this movie. Let's start with the obvious. I hate doing that, but no. <laughs> yeah. Prophecy Pig. Ah, Prophecy Pig. No, Prophecy in the Hero's Journey. Um, It's pretty mm, cool. Delivered via pig. Yeah, yeah, they, they kind of subvert it. The Prophecy character... Is not the main character, even though, like we said, they were the main character in the summary. Well, the prophecy, <laughs> the prophecy is mostly about the evil king, yeah, about the horned king who is going to, if he gains the cauldron, like destroy the world. It seems like I kind of like that because it's more about the problem that needs to be solved and not creating the scenario for a chosen one anybody mm -hmm. could rise up mm -hmm. and be the hero that saves the day yeah or the yeah. villain who dooms us all <laughs> right mm -hmm. I, that's true i didn't think about that because there is so much prophecy and it's so cliche yeah but this is at least allowing like a little bit of interpretation and in how the events are going to play out rather yeah. than being like very shakespearean in that like we are going to tell you in the first act how everything's gonna go yeah like it is already written and cannot be changed yeah. it's kind of like teaching kids or anybody <laughs> that or like instilling the idea that anybody could take up the responsibility of dealing with a bigger problem. Even yeah. a pig herder. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's yeah. set in stone. And an important component of that is that you don't do it alone. You mm. accomplish big things like that with people, with friends, or, or the help of others. Yeah. And that's a big thing that I want to talk about for sure, is, is how this movie has great themes about friendship yeah but we'll get to that yeah definitely that's one of the other big ones but i, I do like the subversion of the usual thing it's not like taryn is a child born lowly and to rise to be the hero like he kind of thinks maybe he is mm -hmm. but that's not really what the story's about and it's not really the message we get from the film necessarily mm -hmm. he's he kind of a he's like he's there that's his con yeah. contribution he never, I mean, he fights a little bit with the sword that he finds, but he never, like, goes on to become this great warrior like he keeps envisioning himself to be. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, ultimately he sacrifices the sword, and, you know, even when he has a chance to get it back, he still chooses his friend instead. Mm, yeah. I love that. So. I think he made the right choice. Well, yeah. He, yeah. He, <laughs> he rejects violence for friendship. Yeah. True. Love that. And so that is the true gift. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that we've seen in a few other Swords and Satire movies as well. Namely, the one I'm thinking of is 
I slay giants or what? She I kill like, giants. I kill giants. Oh, yeah. Just the idea that like you've become this glorious hero only to realize it's not what you wanted and what you wanted was what you had before. Right? That idea of the grass is greener on the other hill, and then you're like, wait, no, that's my hill. <laughs> I turned around. My hill was nice. My hill's good. <laughs> Fuck this violent hill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a new hill for him, because it doesn't seem like uh, Taran has many friends before the story starts, but he ends with a lot of friends. It's true. I think it's interesting, though, when movies give a character a clear drive, because at the beginning, he's, you know, role-playing being a knight. Yeah. yeah. And the second they set out on the quest, he's having those fantasies, like mm -hmm. you said, about doing it. And it's what he's essentially been trying to work toward his whole life. And just, like, the idea that you have to, like, I I almost want to say make the mistake of trying to do it. Yeah. <laughs> because he realizes, how, it, like, he, they did a good thing, but he realizes that that life isn't worth it. Isn't like, he, isn't he fantasizing about being a hero when Henwin gets kidnapped by the, or pignapped by yep. the wyverns? Yeah. 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 No, or, yeah, yeah. And she was actually giving him that vision. It was a possible future for him. Oh, was she? Yeah, she touched her snout to the water, and oh, the the vision came in. So we see also the danger of kind of living in this world of unfulfilled potential and thinking that it's just going to be handed to him. So it isn't actually... I was wrong. It isn't only bad prophecies. No. Another but thing... But that also wasn't a prophecy, because he didn't become that. Well, I, that kind of brings up an interesting point, like... A prophecy is more like a possible path, and that reminds me of The Witcher a little bit. Yeah. yeah. There are multiple destinies you can have, and it depends on your choices that you make, which destiny you're going to fulfill. Mm -hmm. Also, however, the last scene in the film is the owner of the ranch, Dobbin, Dobbin looking into the pool while Henwick is... Henwin. Henwin is conjuring up a vision, not a prophecy, but of uh, of the gang walking happily away at the end of their adventure. He's like, ah, you did it, my boy. You really did it. You made some pals and saved the day. And so I'm like... Now yeah. get back here and clean out my pig swines. Yeah, so I was like, <laughs> if, if... Pig stalls. If, he if Henwin only shows bad visions, then that's a troubling ending. I'll tell you what. No, I don't, I don't think that Henwin only sees the bad. I think that yeah. Henwin has a more diverse portfolio of yes. prophecies. <laughs> yes. Diverse portfolio. <laughs> she can also scry. It's not just prophecy. She's a, a broad diviner pig. Yeah, I mean, yes. she's just magic. Don't overthink it. So that's yeah. so her... That can describe so many of our movies. And yet, we overthink them all. So, the Horn King actually was closer to it because Dalvin calls her a prophecy pig. The Horn King calls her an oracular pig, and that's probably more accurate. Yeah. I, mean, I think she might cover both bases. Right. She's a... She, you know, this this pig... Wow, what a pig. Also, I was bringing this up while we were watching the movie, but I was just sort of mentioning, you know, how I thought it was interesting that normally an oracle character like this would be a human. Yeah. They Pathetic. give it to a pig, which is far superior. Exactly. Yes. 
a much better choice. But I, they always give these magical attributes, it seems, to, like, humans. Yeah. Someone born with magical abilities is a human, right? And yeah. I, that's a thought I've always sort of been bugged by, like, you know, curses or blessings like this. I'm like, why is it always people? Why yeah. don't I ever see, like, a bear pyre? You know what yeah. I'm talking about? There's way more animals on the planet. It's true. So why not a pig oracle? That's so great. sick. Or a telekinetic uh, wolf. <laughs> yes. I'm waiting for the pyromancer sheep. Nice. Laser hawk. <laughs> yes. I love laser hawk. Yeah. Calling out different animals that could be mutants. <laughs> yes. Don't forget the psychic trout. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll never know that they're psychic. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I better go feed the fish. What is he thinking? I have no idea. It's <laughs> not worth knowing. <laughs> it's literally pointless to try yeah. to find out. <laughs> It's also cool how it's not just the like the animal idea of having magical gifts, but there are so many objects that not only are they imbued with power, but they seem to have a mind of their own. Yes. Like the sword actually wields Terran. Yeah. yeah. The scene where the sword is just slashing in the air like Morden Caden's sword, so And without anybody wielding it and Taryn grabs onto it, and it's moving him around. <laughs> you didn't even have to grab it. No. Yeah. And the the bauble, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. Princess I Alana almost forgot about bauble, that. Which I think, like, a bauble is a not-magical thing, and it's just a magical... Or, like, it's been magicked. Yeah, usually it just refers to, like, just, like, a little kitsch. A little, yeah. Glass like, orb, yeah. or... Or yeah. a drop of some kind. Yeah. yeah. It's like a little, like, blessing she was born with, right? Isn't it just sort of, like, synced up with her soul or whatever? Yeah, I don't know that they really do a good job of explaining what the bobble is for. Alanwi seems to think that it's important, but I feel like at some point it just kind of disappears in the film. It does. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the Horn King thought it might be able to tell him where the Black Cauldron was, but... As soon as he found out it couldn't, he just put them in the dungeon? <laughs> yeah. And then the bobble, like, doesn't show up after they escape the dungeon. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we never see it again. She left it behind. No, at the end of the film, Mean. final few scenes, I notice the bobble come back. I'm okay. like, there it is. Okay. I assume it's a little, like, fae folk thing that, likes that just likes her. Like a fairy Maybe. godparent. Maybe. It's kind of unclear, but... It seems to have some sort of intelligence, like you were saying, Chels. Yeah. When our little pig boy touches it, it does like a little <laughs> blink thing in reaction. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, then, a, like a threat. Yeah. <laughs> and when she's talking about it, it kind of bobs and weaves like it's happy that she's talking about it or it's like... A little egomaniac Trying to orb. show off or something. And then there's also the harp that yes. we mentioned already. The harp that reveals when the bard is lying. That's a terrible, that's a cursed item for a bard. It, it is. is cursed. You're right. You're so right. <laughs> and he always argues with it and he can get it not to to break the string. And he tries to just like pawn it off on the witches, right? He's just like, hey, do you want my harp? This yeah. sucks. So he can't get rid of it. It is cursed. <laughs> it is, yeah. 
that might be why he's so scared of everything. He used to, maybe he was a deceptive young traveling minstrel who got by with a lot of lies and then this cursed harp. And then it got him in trouble and he was like run out of a bunch of towns by militias and now he's terrified of everything. Oh God, maybe. (laughs) He said he was going to pay for the whole bar of drinks, but then the string broke. I don't know what's up with that. (laughs) Oh, jeez. But yeah, it was... He said that the child wasn't his, but then the string broke. No! Oh, God. (laughs) Once or twice, he argued with it to be quiet and not to reveal that he was lying, and the string didn't break, so it fucking understands him. Oh, it's an intelligent magic item. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) This world is lousy with intelligent magic items. I know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, the Black Cauldron. Oh, We didn't talk about what the Black Cauldron is. Right. There used to be this old, super evil wizard, so evil and so wizard, that (laughs) the gods feared this individual and melted him in like a in a smithy and welcome to the smithy. uh, (laughs) Not yet. His oh oh, right right and his soul was like trapped inside the Black Cauldron, which they forged from his like corpse. I forgot about all this. I'm glad and, you yeah, brought it up. That's why it's like indestructible. It's forged by gods and the supreme evil of humanity. And so... So why do you think it sucked up the Horned King? Uh, because, like attracts like? Uh, yeah, I was thinking like, it was like, wouldn't it be so funny if the guy who worked so hard to use me, I just killed? That is pretty evil. <laughs> yeah. Know. Was it... Gurgi like controlling it to some extent because it was after Gurgi jumped in, right? Fascinating. Like the power was beginning. Like he Gurgi sacrificed himself, and it seems like the cauldron is defeated by a noble sacrifice. Maybe, yeah. Maybe if the noble sacrifice happens, it kills the person who did the evil sacrifice. I can see it. What happened? So maybe. Maybe, based on a single point of evidence. <laughs> I mean, it's a little unclear because the ending seems very rushed, and that's probably because this movie was cut down by in like production 20 minutes? By like 12 or so minutes oh, when Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was new to Disney at the time, was like, holy shit, this movie's way too edgy. There was like a bunch of more scenes with the Cauldron Born being badass, skeleton knights and doing crazy crap. And, uh, you know, he was concerned about young audiences being scared by the movie. This was the first Disney PG animated movie. It did not get a G rating. Wow. And we should mention that even though they cut out those, you know, several days worth of scenes, uh, they still kept in scenes of when the Horned King is grabbing the side of the cauldron. His skin and flesh starts peeling off. Yeah. Like like when you've like like boiled a piece of fruit, like a tomato or something, and you just pull all the skin off uh, the outside, that happens yeah. to his body. Visceral. Yeah. yeah. His skeleton is really interesting too. The bones are like melted together and stuff. Yeah. When it's his pretty graphic. Yeah. yeah, and there there's a lot of people melting in those five minutes. Yeah. A lot of a lot of horror. It's badass. And this was a kid's movie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see a problem. Maybe that was what Gurgi 
control. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm gonna torture this fucker. You know, it'd be great is if you like recut that scene and you just hear this chanting. Munchies, crunchies. Oh, <laughs> it's just eating the Horned King. Oh, that would have been so good. It's even more terrifying. <laughs> yes. And then when they bring Gurgi back, he has horns. That would have it been. It takes on new meaning when he's pawing at Terran. He's like munchies and crunchies. <laughs> somewhere. Let me get to that delicious heart. Oh God. Oh, oh. oh God. <laughs> But speaking of the two of them, we did mention the power of friendship before. We did. Mm-hmm. Oh, we did. The most powerful element. Yeah. The sixth element, as I like to call it. Wait a minute. <laughs> and in this movie, they kind of show, they wanted to convey that one person alone couldn't deal with an insurmountable problem that seemed like impossible to overcome. But with the help of others or your friends, you can you can make it happen. Yes. It's a good theme. Yeah. There's also the theme that war is bad. <laughs> wow. I know. Crazy thought. But what? I mean That's why this movie got buried. Honestly, probably. Uh no. Uh but I, I really appreciated like within the first uh couple scenes, we have uh Taryn who or who is you know, talking about how he wants to be a great warrior and he's, you know, play sword fighting and stuff like that. And um, what's the name of the older guy? Uh, Dobbin. Dobbin basically tells him, like, no, you don't want that. Like, war is bad. And he's like, yeah. oh, I want to be a great warrior. And he's like, then you are an idiot. Yeah, he basically I like that. says as much to him. Like, yeah. you you're going to die, son. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, I <laughs> you're, safe, you're safe taking care of the pigs. <laughs> I really appreciated that I felt like the the movie consistently reinforced this idea that like fighting is not a noble thing. It is not. I mean, okay, maybe it's noble, but like it's not. It's not glorious. just glorious. It's, yeah, it's it's traumatic. It's painful. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's traumatic, and it will uh, leave a, a bad mark on you regardless of what happens. Yeah, and you lose people you love. And so it definitely feels like the movie uh, ensures that throughout it, you know, the narrative Hmm. that they constantly um, imply that it's not a positive thing. Uh, And I like the juxtaposition of uh, Taryn, like staring at uh, his reflection in the pond and seeing him all dressed up as a noble warrior meanwhile henwing gets abducted by the yeah. dragons or i know you call them wyverns i'm gonna call them dragons <laughs> um and uh you know kind of this idea that you know while he's thinking so grandly of himself actual terror is happening yeah and he's not the hero he thinks he is right a young Hideo Kojima watched this movie and took many notes that led up to Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> yes. War is bad. Dominant genes. Taryn does learn from these experiences because at the end, he says, I'm no warrior. I don't deserve a sword like this. Exactly. Yeah. Like he gives up the sword. He acknowledges that he's not a warrior. I think he concedes that maybe... Being a warrior isn't all that he thought it would be. But then he also realizes that his friends are more important, too. Yeah, and fighting 
uh, is not the only way to solve problems. Like, yeah. hacking and slashing with a sword is not the only way to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gives up... That's a sacrifice he makes, is his own dreams of what he could become mm-hmm. to save his friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he chooses friendship over fame and glory. <laughs> you know where he might become that glorious knight? Wherever Elenwe's kingdom is, right? Because she's a princess of something, right? Supposedly. Supposedly. What if she's from like a, a little princess? A little kingdom and she's like, hey, this guy helped save the day. He's a brave ass knight. The knight of pigs. <laughs> oh, could that be his crest? Yes. Oh, I like that. Just a cute ass pig. Yeah, just an adorable <laughs> little piggy. Yeah. <laughs> that pig was very cute. Dude. She's so cute. Look up the scenes or watch the movie, even better. <laughs> watch the movie. Yeah. yeah. I should I should hope that people have watched the movie before they listen to this, because I feel like it's just it's better that way. Yeah. I don't know if everyone does. Okay. I think some people might be like, should I watch this? Yeah. At least for Warrior Nun, that's my impression. And and then we mm-hmm. spoil everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should I watch this? Well, now I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay, too. Thanks for saving me the subscription fee or the rental fee. All right, look, if you don't want to watch the movie, look up the pig clips on YouTube. <laughs> it's worth <laughs> Just Google cute pig. Yeah, it, it, do that. <laughs> it's good for your soul. Yeah. Penguin is bound to come up. Yeah. Anyone who does that can't become the Black Cauldron. <laughs> well, that's good. Yes. So we were talking about it after we watched the movie, how there's a scene where right after the party assembles for the first time, they're kind of gathering together out in um, like a field or in the forest kind of processing what just happened. And, like, Tarin and Alanwi get into a little scuffle, into a little yeah, argument, and yeah. kind of, like, storm off from each other. And Fluterflam's like, you know, you you can't be at each other's throats like this. We have to work together. We have to, like, be a team, or we're not going to have a chance. Yeah. And after that, Tarin goes to Alanwi. They apologize to each other. And that's kind of the end of the conflict amongst the group. And And I think we all were saying, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's nice that they had a problem. They show a argument. They get past it. And then at that point, they are intent on the same outcome. They all they, want the same things. And Taryn and Alanwi apologize to each other and admit how the other person could have been right. They try to yeah. think about it from the other person's perspective. Yeah. No snarky sniping. No, like one-upsmanship or anything they're just like yeah you know we were both being kind of unreasonable we were just in a situation that we were in duress we said some things but we can move past that now and i like that a lot Mm -hmm. because they also said some pretty hurtful things to each other but they moved past it pretty quickly yeah Mm -hmm. i mean that's also how kids are yeah you know they're like mean thing i'm sorry okay we're good let's play that's true (laughs) (laughs) that's true it's fitting, yeah. <laughs> they, they're more trusting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got the sense that there was a lot of um, like goodwill in yeah. in the char- the good characters in yeah. this movie. That like, if something bad happened, and you know, or if people fought or something, it was resolved quickly. Um, or if there was tension, it was addressed. And yeah. 
you know, it just felt like everybody had goodwill and it it's rare, I feel like, to see a children's movie that shows healthy ways to communicate. Yeah. Um, yes. It's true. Yeah. That usually it's like really heavy handed if they do include like a scene of healthy communication, but typically it's just like miscommunication and like confusion. I mean, like yeah. if we talk about Aladdin, that oh, whole movie God. is based on a lie. Yeah. There's a lot of lying that yeah, happens in that that's movie. True. Apparently the people who made Aladdin didn't watch Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, with Pinocchio, the majority of Pinocchio is about, like, doing the wrong thing and then realizing to do the right thing at the end, which uh, Jamie and I have talked about a lot, how a a children's show or a children's movie that spends 95% of its time demonstrating the bad thing to give you the here's what not to do ending right. actually just spent most of its time showing you bad things or how to be deceptive yeah right because growth and development apparently is only interesting at the end <laughs> which is kind of bullshit because children aren't really paying attention to stuff like that like i know or and by the end of a movie their attention is probably waning that's what i was yeah. gonna say yeah like i, I feel like the for children it's less about the narrative and more about what is happening at yeah. any yeah. given moment. The moment they're really yeah. in in the moment in the present. They're yeah. not they're it's not true. like really focused on like oh this is how this narrative arc went. <laughs> um and yeah, by the end of the movie they're just thinking like cool, it got resolved. The end, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it doesn't go Yay! It's, Yeah. It's true. More movies need to be the night before Christmas. <laughs> With Vanessa Hudgens, yes, <laughs> yeah. all where there's no conflict, are instantly resolved, <laughs> so you never have to see the bad for more than a second. Or they could take stock from this movie, like Casey's saying, and like have the conflict get resolved between the characters, kind yeah. of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. like the conf- the overall conflict still exists. There's right. still a bad guy out there yeah. that they need to deal with. That's but- still a, like the overall arc. Yeah, but it- the little conflicts along the way get resolved pretty quickly. It- yeah. It's not like so many movies where somebody says something hurtful and then for the next 30 minutes, you're dealing with, like, them kind of digging in their heels and acting indignant. It's like... I am so tired of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this movie, it's like, oh, I said something bad. You know what? I'm going to go apologize because that's the right thing to do and I really didn't mean it. And then it, the apology's done and, and they're back to working together. It's great. Yeah. Honestly, I felt like that was so much more realistic because in the moment, it's really heated and you say things you don't mean sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when you step away, it's so much easier to be like, oh, I fucked up. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so take a lesson from this movie, kids. Yeah. Walk away. Say, walk away and say you're sorry. If yeah. there are kids listening to this podcast, we have a problem. <laughs> Don't say fluter flam to your parents. <laughs> Yike. What is fluter? Does it mean something? Oh, boy. <laughs> Am I, like, not in on this joke? Oh, I don't know. You're, you're not, but it's not anything. It's nothing. <laughs> I think Jack just thinks it sounds His dirty. His name okay. is foul. Okay, okay. It sounds like a dirty word. Got it. Okay, I thought maybe it actually... Got him right in the fluter flam. <laughs>
Hey guys, I could talk about this movie for hours, but before we keep going, why don't we head to the bounty board? You stand in an idyllic field, peering down into a glistening pool of water, your curly Q tail perked up in anticipation of the prophecy to come. As you stare into the water, it begins to swirl and form letters. The words read, Bounties? Hey, you there. That's right, I'm talking to you. You look like someone who loves stories. Now, don't be so surprised. It's my business to know things. And that's why I know you'll love Audible, because they've got all the stories. So many stories you could live your whole life exploring new worlds inside your imagination. They've got audiobooks, podcasts, comedy, and all the spoken word content you could ever want, all in one convenient place. And there's this rumor going around that if you head to audibletrial.com slash swords right now, you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible, including a credit for a free audiobook of your choice. Think of all the great stories you could be listening to. What's that? Do I use Audible? Oh, friend, you know I do. In fact, I've got a finely curated collection of content that I've put together with some of the best works in fantasy, film, and cultural studies. If you're looking for a good lead on your first podcast, you could try His Majesty's Dragon by Naomi Novak. Ever wonder what the Napoleonic Wars would have been like if they were fought with dragons? Of course you have! So clearly, that's the book for you to try. Plus, Audible has all your favorite podcasts, like Swords and Satire. So head over to audibletrial.com swords and sign up for your free 30-day trial. You'll be giving yourself a little treat and helping out your favorite satirists. After that, it's just $14.95 a month. What a bargain, right? As a member, you'll get a credit every month for an audiobook and access to loads of audio content. And even if you cancel, not that you're going to want to, of course, you still get to keep all of your audiobooks. Now that's what I call a good deal. And now back to the show. Well, guys, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up some class conflict in this film. Oh, shit. What the hell? You're preempting it. I can use the music. I know. Look at Holy that. Holy shit. <laughs> so, guys, this movie falls into a classic trap of misportraying the lower classes as foul and evil henchmen because oh yeah. yeah i almost totally forgot about the henchmen yeah they're kind of invisible so yeah. exactly yes the underclasses are <laughs> invisible they're treated badly they're coded as economically disadvantaged people yeah 
by their Cockney accents. Yeah, they use the accent to kind of code them. Yeah, so all of the Horned King's henchmen at the beginning of the movie are these rough and mean, evil soldiers who seem to have no motivation other than just pure evil, and every one of them speaks with a Cockney accent, a, quote, lower-class accent. They're so quick to violence, and they're also portrayed as being... Uh, incredibly stupid. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how to say that, but... Just you know. incredibly stupid. <laughs> yeah. And they're made to look ugly. And brutish. Well. Yeah. 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 And, you know, they're easily swayed by this powerful king who's, like, telling them, oh, you know, you have to do whatever I say, but also I'll punish you. I mean, come on. Would you... <laughs> wouldn't you also say, though, that Taran and... His crew... Dolphin is a magician. Wait, he is? Yeah, so... (laughs) when? When did you find that out? He's the one who found out Henwin has the oracle powers. He speaks an incantation. Yeah, he does an incantation. He has books, and he has, like, alchemy sets in his house and stuff. Yeah. I just thought he was also a pig keeper. <laughs> and he just knew he had a magic pig. And apparently you don't need to know that much magic to get her to do things. He practices urban farming, you know. He's <laughs> <laughs> a sustainable farming wizard. Yeah. That's reasonable. Um, I think he's kind of like in the role of like a hedge witch. Describe mm. that to me. <laughs> I really like that He's phrase. an herbalist. He's a healer. Oh, okay. For yeah. like the local villages. I just thought it was funny that when he's like, oh, yes, Taran, you're going off on a long journey uh, to, you know, I guess th- he sends him to, like, a shed on the other side of the forest or something, doesn't he? He, yeah. he has I a- forgot where he was sending him. He was sending him to, like, some sort of I was other building okay. on yeah. the other side of the Forbidden Forest. So to hide out. To hide yeah, out yeah, yeah. with Henwin. Right. So he's got a summer home. And he just cuts Hen or he cuts Tarin a slice of bread and hands him an apple. And yeah. that's all he's got to eat that's all you need. for as long as it's gonna take him to get to this shed. Maybe the shed is close, but still, like bread and apple, not <laughs> not enough. If but this guy is a He also has Henwin with him, what's she gonna eat? The apple yeah. is for Henwin. Hey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Henwin is a is a good truffling pig. She, oh. She'll be able to find food I for herself. I thought you were implying that Tarn could just eat <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, my oh, God. God. I was like, wow. Wow, Chelsea. He might think about it, but then he'd look at that face and he couldn't do it. No. Oh, you could never do it. She's There's so just no cute. way. I know. Oh, my God. I want. But he'll kill that fucking goat. If it looks at him the wrong way for even oh half a second. God. Oh my god, or those geese. Yeah. Oh man. Um, a lot of cute animals in this movie, though. Taryn yes. is a beanpole, so maybe he doesn't eat much. I He's a growing boy. That's, That's true. <laughs> I mean, look at Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. The listeners can hear how skinny I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so basically, I think they're kind of like... People in their position are almost, like, separate from the normal class structure. Right. Well, they're the good ones. Kind of. Yeah, the air, air quotes over the good I mean, ones part. I <laughs> mean, yeah. is Dalbin's apprentice. Mm-hmm. And so, as such, he's doing a lot of menial tasks for him. But apprenticeship is kind of a gateway to... 
more gainful employment or position. That is the the usual way that these stories are presented. You're not a peasant. Right. Mm -hmm. These cockney henchmen, we're going to call them, are coded as being poor, rough, and dumb. Part of the peasantry. Exactly. Whereas Taryn and Dalvin are kind of outside of that hierarchy and have their own thing going on. A little bit more like part of the merchant class, but not quite in that class. Mm -hmm. Also, the Cockney henchmen, um, basically as soon as the Horn King gets his cauldron-born army... The Cauldron Born Army starts to, like, attack the henchmen. Yeah. And the Horn King is like, cool, I got my dead army. I don't really need living people anymore. They're expendable. Yeah, so he has no problem murdering them so that they can be, like, controllable dead army. Interesting how those in power are so quick to turn their backs on the people who put them in power in the first place. Hmm. Good thing that doesn't happen in the real world. Yeah. Interesting how people with power see people without power as expendable. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Glad like, this is a fantasy movie. Um, in terms of representation of female characters, they had female characters, unfortunately, um some of them were a little questionable. Oh yeah, we um, haven't talked about the big titty witches. Right. Yeah. Um yeah. but starting with Princess Alonwe, because she is the first, aside from Henwin, that we meet that is a female character. Mm. Um and what I liked about her was that she was very strong willed, mm-hmm. very confident, very independent, very mm-hmm. knowledgeable. Uh did I say competent? I think I said confident. So conf- yeah. confident and competent. Both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. So I She's really, a great character. She is a yeah. great character. She, I really, really liked her. She seemed to like stand up for herself well, but also know when, you know, maybe she had gone too far. However, they kind of neuter her mm-hmm. I later when they like force this like romantic plot between her and Taryn. And it's like not organic at all it feels very shoehorned in for the sake of like every main character you know disney movie has to have get paired off yeah they all have to like end up in love at the end and it's not a this movie's not about romance at all it's just not they did not need that yeah they're just friends the whole time yeah it's actually gurgy that forces them to kiss each other which is pretty cringe yeah yeah Gurgi has a lot of unchecked fantasies and impulses. Oh, yeah. don't talk about Gurgi like that. <laughs> Gurgi is a creature of id. I'll tell you this, I've always been yeah. troubled by Gurgi. I'm shocked how much you guys like Gurgi. You want to expand on that? Do you want to expand on that? Oh, Gurgi? He's a disturbing little creature. He's, so he's cute. Is he? <laughs> to me, he looks cute. like an old, uh, like... He looks like a guy who would stand around on, like, a SoCal beach, like an older man trying to sell kids LSD that he used, that he made back in, like, the 60s. Oh, That's oh, what he LSD. looks like. Yeah. And then he talks like Gollum. <laughs> I know he predates Andy Circus Gollum, but not in my life. <laughs> right? According so to me. Yeah. Yeah, so, so clearly this character was inspired by Gollum, even though that doesn't make sense in chronological Right. Time. No, this is just me being disturbed by him. Yeah. You guys like him a lot. Honestly, real quick, after watching this movie and hearing the way Gurgi talks and the way his voice sounds and the way he acts, I was like, Oh, 
Andy was channeling this character when yeah. he did Gollum. Big Gurgy energy. And when I saw the Lord of the Rings, I just didn't remember this movie and I didn't put two and two together. It mm-hmm. makes this movie feel derivative when, ironically, it's it other, is not. Yeah, it's the other way around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, the books did come before this yeah. movie, so. And the, and the um, Rankin Bath Hobbit movie? It gets more complicated, though, because this movie is based on Welsh folklore. And which, a book. Which inspired The Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. So, oh, that's funny. So, yeah, which came first? (laughs) The chicken or the egg? It's hard to say. The folklore or the book? Yeah. The folklore. (laughs) Definitely the folklore, but the folklore inspired one of the books, which, you know, the people who made this movie obviously have read Lord of the Rings. Yeah. No questions asked, but it's... Also, this is lightly based on the book that it is based on right <laughs> well, loosely folklore, based on the novel the folklore is also from the age of man and lord of the rings predates that a little bit so <laughs> fair yeah yeah yeah, yeah Good so point. the third age is when the lord of the rings takes place so. right right <laughs> um however we were on the topic of women <laughs> <laughs> right uh and yeah so aside from princess alonwe then we had the three female witches right. mm-hmm. um we had one who was very voluptuous and um very into our harpist big and beautiful and uh she was like a little too much into him and he was very much not into her and it was yeah. there was no of, consent given for... exactly yeah it was very cringy and it was played for laughs which was kind of not fun i know because it's like Oh, look at how funny this is. It's the woman acting more like the man should be acting. Yeah. Would like, be oh, acting. It's a, a, a lechy woman. It's like, lechy isn't good either way. Yeah. It's not consensual. It's not consensual. Yeah. It's actually a lot more troubling to me that you phrased it that way. That she's acting more like the man. Because if that's like a proper role reversal and Fluter Flam is more, acting more like a woman... That means that the woman in that scenario is normally terrified and trying to run away at all costs. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's yeah, about my experience. That's, um, yeah. that's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Disney, for teaching yeah, yeah. Uh, that lesson. <laughs> they actually do this in The Sword and the Stone, which came out around the same time. Mm. I think that was early, quite a bit earlier, if I'm not mistaken. 1963. Okay, I had no idea it was that old. Well, I grew up watching that, and they do... So in chronological Chelsea time, or in yeah. Chelsea time, not chronological time. They do use the same insane. tropes in that movie. There's a female squirrel going after the male main character who's been turned into a squirrel. <laughs> and uh, she's doing the same exact thing that the female witch in this movie was doing. Yeah. So other... it's something that Disney likes to do, I guess. Well, and also, like, while we're on this topic, this is, I believe, some of the same team who made the Robin Hood movie that, you know, made everyone fall in love with foxes. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. So we have, like, the one lechy witch, and then we have one who's kind of like the bargain lady. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that's was not so exactly perfect. like her. <laughs> yeah, really good. Spot on. <laughs> yeah. You did. Um... 
And then there's a third one, and I don't even know if she has any speaking lines. I think she does. I literally can't remember what she looks like. She's the middle sister. She often gets overlooked. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no. I don't know anything about that. There's, there's the young, horny sister, the older, um, bossy sister, and then the middle sister who's just there. Yeah. Yeah. I think she just, she's the one who really was hungry and wanted to eat that frog. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was she? I thought that was so the older hungry. sister. No. Okay, I literally cannot remember what she was like at all. <laughs> yeah, she was the one who was like, super she's just hungry. like, I'm just hungry. Come on, give me that frog. But yeah, so <laughs> I feel like with the princess, she started out uh, a strong character, kind of dissolved a little bit when they did that weird romantic subplot. Well, and it's like they make her step aside. For the male protagonist to have his limelight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't even, he kind of has limelight, but then like Gurgi steals his limelight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I definitely don't feel like Taryn is some like, you know, knight in shining armor by the end of this. It felt, no. it, it very much feels like a collaborative effort with the exception of the harpist. Fluterflam. Fluterflam. He kind of contributes <laughs> nothing except goofiness. And a little bit of wisdom. Until the very end, he does impart some wisdom when he tells them, get their act together. Yeah. We all right, know. right. But yeah, so he's got, he does have some wisdom, which is on brand for a bard. You oh know? yeah. I feel like, I feel like all of these characters really uh, fit their D and D roles. I think so. Um, he seemed really excited, by the way, when he thought they were going to be traveling together on the road before the fight. Yeah, he was yeah. like really settling into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that they're all friends. Yeah, he's quite a bit older, but he's like these kids. They're my. They're my guys. Yeah, they're my friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah, we're gonna have a great adventure. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting how he's sort of on, like, even standing with the young folk. Yeah. Like, he's quite a bit older, but he doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's older. And no. by, what I mean by that is they're all, like, of equal status in the group. He's yeah. not, like, holding them back. No. Either. He doesn't, like, try to assume being in charge because he's older right. either. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't talk down to them. He imparts wisdom that yeah. comes with his age, but he's yeah. not like, oh, you dumb kids. He's like, no, no, guys, like, come on. We're, we yeah. can get through this. Let's yeah. just be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good leadership skills. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. He it's doesn't good. try to pull rank. Yeah. Anything. I was disappointed that the princess didn't get a little bit more activity. She mm -hmm. she was yeah. wasn't very agentive in her actions. I felt like she was really good in the beginning. Yeah. Again, I keep saying this, but yeah, she was really good in the beginning with <laughs> being like, here's how we get through the castle and stuff like that. And then it just kind of fizzles out. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately a lot of it kind of gets weird and rushed at the end. Probably from the some of the cuts. Yeah, that's probably it. Or, I mean, I don't know. They also ended up with a... Like, by the end of it, there's, like, what, five people in their crew? Yeah. yeah. It starts to get, like, okay, not everybody's gonna get a time to shine. We need to get through this movie. Yeah, yeah. the movie's, like, an hour and 20-something minutes. Yeah. So not a lot of time to pack in all these characters. Yeah, that's, like, that's like surprisingly short in this day and age when movies, even children's movies, are regularly, like, two and a half hours long. And I hate it. Mm-hmm. I thought they packed quite a bit into the hour 
in 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Actually. Yeah, I thought it actually, felt right. Yeah. yeah, it felt right. Yeah. Except for those, like, several weeks worth of horror that they cut out of the <laughs> film. All right, well, there you have it. Why don't we head to the smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Casey, as our special guest, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 intelligent swords? Sure. Mm. So, my epic feature was uh, I loved the, like, evil necromantic special effects yes they yeah. i think they were computer generated some Pro- of them probably some of, yeah. some of it is drawn and i think some of it was computer generated this was the first disney film with computer generated graphics and they're just incredibly done um and very spooky it's actually crazy because i loved this movie when i was a kid like fucking loved it and I even had a little Gurgi stuffed animal. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Uh, oh, I like him more now. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. And uh, it's nuts to me now watching this. I'm like, holy shit, this movie's terrifying. <laughs> and I loved it. So um, yeah. I feel like I'm gonna gonna say that. And then my rating is honestly a fucking ten. I loved oh. I loved it when I was a kid, and I was really nervous to watch it again. Oh, see I totally how I hold up. I was like, oh no, what bullshit is in here now? But honestly, like it's paced well. I liked, you know, a lot of the characters. I liked the sort of friendship quality. I liked that they resolve their conflicts and it doesn't become this like stupid plot. That's all about like, Oh, if we had just communicated, yeah. it would have gone better. Like, no, it, it's yeah. not about that. Um, and it's just like good hearted fun. And it really feels like a, uh, like a D and D quest. It, it has yeah. a lot of D and D vibes to it that I now, it makes me love this movie even more. Nice. All right, a perfect movie from Casey. Very nice. Not bad, not bad. Jack, why don't you tell us your epic moment or feature and then your rating from 1 to 10 Intelligent Swords. I liked when it faded from black to the intro and they started saying a prophecy. I was like, whoa, this is a prophecy movie? What? What? Oh, wait, no, no, I have a better one, I think, than that. All right. Uh, I, I think I actually, I like the scene when the pig boy is uh, walking around in the tower during their escape. They're kind of wandering through the crypts. He finds the sword atop like a sarcophagus. Yeah. And I remember watching it and being like, what the hell? He just finds a random sword. It ends up being this magical super Excalibur ultra mega Excalibur and I'm like what the hell is just like Conan he just found it randomly yeah just just like Conan but the thing was this isn't the Horned King's creation this castle he took over this random ruined castle right and I that actually sort of like flushed out the the setting they're in for me Nice. That, like, 
this could have been some hero because it was a king's sarcophagus. Yeah. The carving of the deceased person on top had a crown and everything. I was like, this is probably the actual king who built this thing's like castle, and that's his legendary sword. That is cool. I thought that was sick. Yeah. Yeah. And then he uses also, that sword to save the castle. It's also amazing that it was still there and nobody stole it. Yeah, I know. Well, the the Horn King might not have cared about it. You know? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, he discards a lot of stu- like magical stuff he doesn't think will get him the cauldron. Yeah, he's more of a lich than a fighter lich. I'm also yeah. curious how long he's even been at that castle. Like, did they just move in? Week, week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it's been less than a lifetime. Are they renting? Squatting. <laughs> definitely squatting. King, kings like to claim like eminent domain. I loved when the horned king said squatters' rights in the movie. <laughs> that was sick as hell. <laughs> That's also going to be one of our t-shirts one day. Yeah. Do you think he shits with a squatty potty? <laughs> I do now. That was actually in the several years of cut footage they took out of this film. So that was my epic feature. Yeah. And thinking about this film, I really would have liked a further 10 minutes of character development, I think. Yeah. 12 minutes, even, I could say. The the 12 minutes that were cut, I don't think they were character development. They were mostly uh, the cauldron born doing awesome shit and scaring people. Right. Like doing kickflips on skateboards. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Totally radical. Yeah. Whoa. I don't don't know what they're doing, but it's some cool shit. That's why they cut it. It was so awesome that they, like, Katzenberg knew that all the kids would be just grinding every surface they could find on their skateboards after watching the movie. It's true. Unacceptable. It's true. That's why the app Grinder exists now. (laughs) That's right. Yes. But uh, another thing, they could have put that character development in just in every scene that Creep was in. I didn't like Creep. No, yeah. Yeah. um, For me, it was just like, and I know Disney does this as a practice, they put characters in movies that young children will want to see in pain. That's what General Hux was in Star Wars. That's an actual thing he mentioned in an interview, that his character was designed so that children would want to see him hurt. Well, they got what they wanted. Yes. And I feel that's what Creep was. And I am disturbed by that archetype. I didn't feel his character added a lot. He wasn't funny to me. I really would have liked the heroes getting more development. Scathing indictment of Creeper. You make me think of Iago. He fulfills a similar role. Yeah, but Iago was voiced by... Gilbert Godfrey. The god himself. (laughs) I thought you were going to say somebody who children are going to inherently want to see get hurt. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If Creep was voiced by Gilbert Godfrey, I'd be pretty okay with it. Oh my god. Uh, But, you know, all that considered... Very long segment I got there. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Because I I thought the villain was cool. I liked the world. I liked how it just threw you into it. There was a little exposition, but not loads of it. Yeah. The world felt very fleshed out. I liked the characters. I would have just liked to see a few of them, like, shine a bit more. Mm. That's fair. And so, 8 out of 10. A respectable rating. 
Chelsea, how about your epic moment or feature? And then a rating from 1 to 10 Intelligent Swords. I'm going to go with an epic feature. Since we were talking before about how we don't have to constantly see conflict happening between the like characters of the movie, I enjoyed the fairy kingdom mm. that they go yeah. to. And I was expecting like some of the tropes where the fairies are afraid of them or they're hostile to them mm-hmm. at first. But the king is right there, and he just welcomes them, mm-hmm. like he's welcoming welcoming them into his own home, and he just asks how he can help them, and they're just a really helpful, curious bunch. Yeah, and it was great. <laughs> it was really refreshing. It was just like, oh, we don't have to waste time here going through some needless conflict that doesn't really lead to anything or, or impart any real message or have real meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, are, we aren't trying to pad time in that way in this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And it's more tedious as a viewer to go through that. So it was just refreshing and kind of nice. Also that the king was right there just like greeting people. Yeah. It felt more egalitarian. You Helping know? with construction too. I know. Oh, man. I think this movie, it's really cool. It's really unusual for Disney in mm-hmm. in some ways. In some ways, they kind of like cling to some of their same old tropes that we mentioned with, about gender, especially. But in other ways, in terms of storytelling and style, it feels very atypical, and it's it's definitely refreshing. I I wish that we could get more new stories like this and since disney owns everything and somebody (laughs) from them might be listening in on this maybe you know you could get some fresh blood in there but anyway like a couple uh, like a a group of podcasters (laughs) who've covered many of your movies yeah Yeah, I think I'll also give it 8 out of 10. It it holds up pretty well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The animation is beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. And I thought it had a lot of really good messages in it. And it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I love Henwing. She's such a cute pig. Bonus points for Henwing. Yeah. Oh, uh, Intelligent Swords, by the way. That was 8 out of 10 Intelligent Swords. A strong rating. How about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment or feature and your rating out of one uh, one to ten <laughs> intelligent swords? Yes, Jamie. Tell us, Jamie. Well, you know what? I'm glad you guys asked. And since <laughs> you guys totally sniped my epic moments and features, which is great. I, I'm what glad. Yes. That's yes. okay. Every single one. Because I have a <laughs> bonus one. I'm going to say that my epic feature of this movie is... The Japanese Disney theme park attraction that was created, inspired by this movie. Oh, <laughs> deep That's right. dive. Deep, yes. deep dive. Were you on your phone just then? <laughs> like, no. What can I find that's cool about this? <laughs> <laughs> no. I knew about this from uh, actually the video that inspired me to want to do this movie this week. And it was a video by the YouTube channel Defunct Land talking about this terrifying 
it's not really it wasn't a ride it was like a experience at tokyo disney they abduct you where yeah where you go in and you're supposed to you were supposed to be going into cinderella's castle and you start out by doing that and then suddenly like a wall opens and you have to go down into the dungeons with the tour guides and it's all these terrifying things like maleficent's uh, like portrait and the the mirror uh, are talking to you, and oh, you get yeah. to the end, and the horned king is there. Holy and shit. the tour guide is telling you like how you have to fight the horned king, and then she picks a child from the audience to give the sword to to fight the horned king, and then like the whole audience has to participate in casting the horned king away. Oh and it was like God. this constructed, awesome looking representation of the cauldron and the king and everything. Wow. It was so fucking cool. That's it, awesome. It closed in like early two thousand or something. But, I mean, it would be a great experience, I think, anyway. And it's such a weird mindfuck that you go into, like, Cinderella's castle and it's going to be this fun thing. But, no, you get taken down in the dungeons with this kind of spooky, terrifying, bizarre experience that I totally wish I could have had. That's wild. Kids these days are going to be weak. They didn't have to fight the demon king of the cauldron. I practiced 200 forms of Bushido to prepare for that ride. <laughs> so, that's that's my epic feature. That's pretty epic. This inspired one of the coolest theme park attractions at any Disney park ever. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? As far as the rating goes, I am going to give this film... 9 out of 10 Intelligent Swords. It is so underrated. It is super cool. It it doesn't quite get the perfect rating for me because the ending feels very rushed, and maybe that's the problem of the cut content. I mean, if there was a way to get back those 12 minutes, I would (laughs) do it in a heartbeat and then, like, mix a sweet doom metal like song on top of it to to create a uh, an awesome like montage because I'm sure it's just this rad stuff of Cauldronborn kicking ass and just doing terrifying crap throughout the castle which would have been awesome. Uh, but yeah, I really like this movie. The atmosphere, the graph, like the 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 art style is so cool and so original. The animation is super fluid. There's so many frames to the movement. They really took this to the hilt with this movie, it was the most expensive animated movie of its time. They put a ton of money into this movie, and you can tell it looks outstanding. The story is really good, and unlike a lot of other, not just Disney movies, but fantasy movies yeah. at all, yeah. it's it's very unique, it's very original. I think it doesn't get nearly as much credit as it deserves. So that's it. 9 out of 10, Intelligent Swords. Nice. Print. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Roll, roll credits, I guess. <laughs> well, we'd like to thank you all for joining us for this week's episode, as we had a great time discussing the Black Cauldron with you all. If you liked this episode, maybe consider hopping on to your podcatcher and leaving us a review so that other listeners can find the show. Yeah, and... If you are able to give us a little bit more support, you could join our community of patrons like Casey is. Hey. <laughs> 
You can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join our patron community. You'd be supporting the show and you'd get access to some cool bonus content like outtake episodes, which are pretty funny, and rewriting history episodes, and you could vote on the movies we watch. So that's pretty cool. And we have a new patron to announce. It's uh, Jorge Medina. Who didn't want us to uh, announce him on this episode. But it's- So it's way more fun than we are. <laughs> and it's a perk, so... There you go, buddy. <laughs> you, you, may, you may remember Jorge from our Monster Hunter episode, where we had a great time discussing that uh, artistic film. And I'll take a little bit of artistic license here and say that he enjoyed himself so much that he decided to support the show. He had such a knowledge of the monsters that he came onto the show to share what he knew. Yes. Yes. And... If you don't have enough funding to share with your favorite podcasters, hopefully us, then... (laughs) Again, a a good assumption based off of evidence. Yes. Then you can share our podcast with everyone you come across as you travel the land playing your cursed instrument. Oh, boy. And when you tell people that our show is good and that you like it, your your instrument won't even rat you out because it's the truth. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Casey, thanks for joining us again for Yay! this episode. I know you were excited to Yay! talk about this movie with us. Yeah, this I, is one we've been talking about doing for a while. Yeah, I was just super stoked to do this one. I was glad to be here. I had a good time. Well, you're At always least. welcome, of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time. Hail Crom!